All right, soccer freaks. This is ATL on Fire, the podcast. We're going to be talking all things Atlanta United Football Club. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of ATL on Fire, and I know it's been a little while, but uh, we are making it happen. We've got Dave Katz all the way over on the West Coast in Seattle joining us and making this happen. So, Dave, how are you doing? Thanks for making time. Feeling it just like the MLS players, you know, cross-country travel, and now I know why nobody nobody wins on the road in Seattle. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you, you're taking a little time out there with family and uh, enjoying the West Coast. Yeah, visiting with family, visiting the city. Um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it sounds like we might have a uh, a guest, perhaps for a Monday show post Sunday game, to give us a little bit of perspective from the Seattle fans' point of view. And uh, can you tell us a little I bit hope about so. that? I, I, I'm I'm partially. I'm only. Uh, Halfway proud to admit that uh, I have a cousin who's uh, a Seattle Sounders uh, season ticket holder and part of the supporters group. So um, that's great from a standpoint of, you know, we get a little bit of new perspective on MLS, but, you know. Nice. Well, I've got I've gotten to see a football game in the stadium there. It's definitely awesome. And hopefully we can get him for a Monday uh, recap of our, so, yeah. of our game against Chicago Fire and have a little bit of third party perspective. So we've got about 40 minutes. I know you got um, t- places to be with family out there. And so we're going to do a quick podcast. Uh, I've always got time for a podcast, Mikey Dobbs. Yeah, man. And so I tried to fill the last month with a little bit of content. Hopefully everybody saw the uh, ATL on Fire cooking Philly cheesesteak segment. If you haven't and have never made a Philly cheesesteak, the most popular YouTube video I put on the ATL on Fire channel. So definitely check that out. If you have not made a Philly cheesesteak. Turns out the Philly cheesesteak is more popular than the not, <laughs> not surprising. Have you ever had cheese whiz? Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Go straight to your heart. Um so there is no lack of things to talk about uh in soccer in general. Uh, right, let's go. Let's go. So we uh, went into the international break, and so of course we have had nothing but soccer on TV with the Euros. Copa America all happening happening simultaneously. Um, I happened to be watching the Denmark game that had um, a tragic moment that turned out uh, very good in the end for Christian Eriksen. Um, yeah, our hearts and uh, prayers go out to Eriksen and his family. Yeah, but what a what a story that Denmark's still in this thing too. Still in it, yeah. Um, I mean, for those of you who remember the uh, 96 European Championships, that Denmark actually here's a trivia question, Mikey Dobbs. Hit me. Of course, they gave it away. But um, what's the only team to win the European Championships without qualifying for the European Championships? Ooh, that's a great one. I you know I'm gonna go with Holland since you know they just you know they won it in '88, right? Um, they did win it in '88, but that was not it. Okay, it's Den it's Denmark. Okay, well, I should have led the led the uh, whatever you say there. Yeah, so Denmark actually failed to qualify 
And then because war broke out in, I believe, Yugoslavia, um, uh, it's either, you know, Yugoslavia who had qualified was not allowed to participate. So they called in Denmark at the last minute, they were all on the, on the beach and uh, Peter Schmeichel did the rest and Denmark won the whole thing. Wow. There you so. go, fans. Uh, Dave knows his stuff when it comes to soccer and, uh, you know, definitely dramatic watching that um, Denmark uh, Finland game with with Erickson getting defib back and thank goodness he's back. Um, but let's get to the soccer and be quick about the, the Euros. What's been your favorite moment thus far in the Euros? Favorite moment in the Euros. Uh, I mean, I just have enjoyed, you know, some of the underdog, <laughs> you know, a little yeah. bit. Um, you know, I haven't, I, you know, I, I, I typically root for England because, I, as you know, I follow the Premier League pretty well. And, um, and uh, you know, England's still in it. So that's good. Their side of the draw is really open. But this tournament, because I think there's no sense of destiny or whatever, I've just been, you know, rooting for a wide open tournament. And we've got that, you know, in the in the round of 16, (laughs) you know, a bunch of results you wouldn't expect. Well, I I have to say that I give it to the Danish game uh, when they had that comeback and the third goal um, and then they put in a fourth to seal it. How about that? That was I mean, that was pretty emotional to watch. Um, but I mean, really this is England's tournament to lose as far as I'm concerned. I would say, you know, Belgium and Italy are the two, um, others that are are the the big dogs down, right? Yeah, he's down. So that's, uh, that's a big loss for them. Um, Italy, you know, I'm not sold. I'm not convinced that, you know, defense is really good, but I'm not sure you can win that way. Um, and Spain, who everybody thought couldn't score, suddenly scored five goals in two consecutive games. So, um, yeah, Murata broke say, the, broke I, the I curse. I almost think that Spain's got to be the favorite on that side right now. I, yeah, Spain is definitely looking, you know, solid, but it's it's the question of whether they can put the front foot forward when they need to. And Italy for the same, you know, they can defend, but, um, but yeah, anyway. And I don't think that we've talked about it, speaking of international break, but we start, we kicked off the international break with the U.S. win over Mexico. That's in my notes here, yeah. <laughs> Nations League. Uh, what? what a crazy game. And, I mean, literally, that has to be one of the best soccer games in the last five to ten years if, if you're just purely watching for entertainment value and do, even don't have a horse in the game. That game is had everything. Had everything. I don't know what else yeah, to I say. Mean, Go back and watch it. Was- the only thing that was a shame was the last, you know, few minutes with all the fan stuff and all the, you know, yeah. the delays or whatever. Tata Martino sent yeah. off for patting the referee <laughs> on the back. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you man. know, Tata, that, that violent coach that he yeah. is, patting the referee on the back, sent off. Yeah. Can't touch the referee. Even on the ATL on fire, we know that. It seemed like it was probably similar to the Heinze yellow card that got him suspended. I don't know. Pretty innocent mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and then, of course, we've got the Copa America down south that's happening at the same time, which is one of the reasons Atlanta United is missing two players, including our star, Joseph Martinez, and our right back, right, Ronald Hernandez. Ronald Hernandez, of course. Yeah. And so that, I, I don't know if anybody watched the Venezuela game, um, and I'm trying to remember who they are playing. It was, this, I think, the same day Atlanta United ended up tying Philadelphia. Um, if there's any sort of consolation there, Ronald Hernandez... An Atlanta United player came back the last minute 
and scored a tying goal in the Copa America. So at least promising um, results from an Atlanta United player that hasn't seen a lot of playing time or none really in the first team. So excited to see him come back, hopefully on a positive note. But Venezuela, I think, is at the bottom of the table right now. And yeah, I think that was the Ecuador game. Okay. 2-2 two, two against Ecuador. So I don't want to wish Venezuela bad luck, but I'd like our two players back. So the fact that they're at the bottom of the table, we could definitely use those two players back sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Messi's looking good down there too. So, all right. Yeah, I mean, Messi against Bolivia, I mean, wasn't much a doubt, but, I mean – he traps the ball at the top of the box, turns around, lifts it with his foot, and flings it over the defender right onto the foot of an attacker for a volley into the goal. You're like, hmm, yeah, make that look easy. Totally. And uh, one one last note on the Euros: that Holland looked good in the group stage, um, but they ended up losing um, 0-2 to Czech Republic. Right? Am I right? Right on that? Correct. And uh, yeah, shortly after Frank de Boer resigns from the international manager <laughs> duty in Holland. So, um, yeah, you know, you, you, you felt like that was the tournament. If he was going to redeem his reputation, it was going to happen, and it didn't turn out going that way. So, I guess in fairness to him, you know, so Deligate or, um, yeah uh, got a red card in that game, um, which is a difficult thing. But I don't know um, what else. DeBoer would have done to change the outcome of that game once you go down. I mean, they were the better team. Had they not gotten the red card, if I was a betting man, they were going to finish the winners in that game. They were just, they had more quality, even with some of their stars not hitting on all, all cylinders. I felt like they would have figured it out, but um, it is what it I is. Felt, I felt like the Dutch had a little bit of, of what we had in Atlanta United, which is um, they couldn't get the balance, right? So they, in order to try to get some attack, it became so wide open, right? There was, for whatever reason, De Boer does not seem to be capable of coaching the team to get attack without making it wide open and conceding, you know, just really, really easy chances. So they actually, you know, the Dutch fans were really disappointed going to the tournament that the team couldn't score. It was very typical of the, the run that we had where it was a lot of one, nothing in zero, zero games. Um, but they went into the tournament, stepped right on the front foot analogous to, you know, what happened at lane United. Um, but as soon as they did that, they couldn't control the game and it was just became super wide open. It was three, two, and it was, you know, um, and uh, that's no way to win. Yeah, no, um, I, I hear you. Let's get back to MLS soccer, Atlanta United. Uh, okay. We are what we are at this point. Unfortunately, <laughs> my pessimism that you turned me around from having at the beginning, I feel like we are what I thought we were, um, and that is a very average team. Um, I realize that with three points in the table, all of a sudden we can move up and be in the playoffs just with one win. But I just fear with the gaps that I am seeing in the way that we're capable of playing um, that we are going to be right about where we are right now at the end of the season. Our record right now is two, six, and six, two. two. Six bloody ties. And I, I think I've six. got – I mean, hold on here, Dave. Let me check something here. Oh. Open wide for some soccer! <laughs> Continental soccer is oh, yeah. coming to Springfield. It's coming to Atlanta. It's all here. 
fast kicking, low scoring, and ties. <laughs> you bet. How <laughs> 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 to do that? I like it, Mikey Dobbs. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't like the ties, but um, it's a lot of ties. Six ties. I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, you know, the only thing just just from a stamp, we can get into details, but just from a standpoint of a record, you would say, okay, well, um, you know, they're they're a tough team to beat. They're not losing games, and and you feel like to go from tie to win is possible. Um, to go from you know to loss to wins, not so much. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so before we get into the recap of the last three games, which was a Philadelphia tie, two two, New England, we lost uh, by one goal, one zero, and we had a zero zero draw just last what Wednesday against uh, New York FC, correct? Um, so we had two consecutive. I'm not sure we talk about either of the games. We had two consecutive two two ties against Nashville and Philadelphia. Then we lost one nothing to New York. I was just talking about our last three games. Okay, it was New York and then uh, and New York again, right? New York City FC yeah. and then New York Red Bulls. Yeah. So yeah, you're talking about all the games that were ties. Yeah. Um, sorry about that mixing mixing this up there. But yeah, no we. Well, so you've got all the ties. Can you repeat that? So there were uh, two consecutive two two ties against Nashville and Philadelphia. I think that's okay. what I want to talk about the most. And then we lost one nothing on the road at New York City FC and came back home and tied zero zero against New York Red Bull. Okay. Um, do you want to talk about that, or do you want me to talk about what I think some of the high level problems are right now with the team? Go for it. All right. I have some scribbles here, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and Mikey I, Dobbs goes into the notes, you know, so, podcast listener beware. This is a rare occasion. This I'm, I'm enjoying some uh, Glenn Morangi. Uh, I don't have work tomorrow, so I'm really able to lean in tonight, okay. and that's why I'm standing. I feel like I'm, I've got some energy tonight, and uh, yeah. So I the problem the problem is is we have a lot of quality. I really do. I feel like there's a lot of great players in our team, and um, you know, they're able to knock the ball around, but there's too much youth out in the 10 in front of Brad Guzan right now. And I do not see a leader on the field. Um, I do not see a veteran player out there, a one or two veterans, particularly with Joseph Martinez not being out there as of late. Um, and in the early games, he was not confident. So he really wasn't playing that typical role of barking and, and leading by example. Um, I, it's very clear right now that there is a lack of seniority out on the pitch. And, you know, there's only so much Brad can do from barking at, uh, the guys in front of him when they make a egregious error. Uh, you really need that person to take control in the middle of the field. And I just don't see that at all. I don't, I don't know if you agree with that, but I, I feel you don't, like you don't see that from Sosa. I see that from Sosa. Sosa is, um, the, the one shiny light, but he's still a young player. He is still mm-hmm. um, somebody that doesn't necessarily um, have the team listening to him. He, he leads by example, which I love, and he puts a little grit in. Even the game the other night, like the whistle blew, the ball was, it was there, and he like slid tackle somebody and just popped somebody. You're like, yes. I love <laughs> his attitude. I love everything that guy's doing. Even, even his last two games, which I would say maybe are his two worst ones, I still love some of the things I see from him 
from yeah. a leadership standpoint, I will give you that, but I still don't feel like the team necessarily is turning and, and receiving and, and taking his messages other than, you know, like, like in the other game, like the commentator said it, like he went in and got the yellow card, which could have almost been a red by just taking that guy out. Um, mm-hmm. That's one way to lead. Uh, I think it's the other part of the leadership that we're missing. And then it, it's, it's a little bit more calmness actually that I'm looking for in terms of keeping our head and, and preventing these ties from happening and having a sense of I've been there and I've done that and we're totally missing that. Well, you know, I think that we were a little bit ahead of the curve in pointing out how just how young Atlanta United is. Um, and, you know, because of that, so, so, so you got to combine not only young, but um, a lot of players who haven't played together very much. Add Jerry on top with a new coach um, you know, and that's a recipe for what you're talking about, a, a lack of leadership, um, you know, in a, in a perfect world where the franchise is going to, you know, be dominant, you know, sort of for many years in a row, you wouldn't want to go through a valley where you have so many new players and they're so young, you would want to continue to turn over, um, you know, at, at the little bit older and have at least a veteran presence. But the Atlanta United, the way the club has been set up to be a selling club, if you will, um, this is something that the Atlanta United supporters are going to have to deal with, you know, which is a lot of, you know, continual rebuild, seeing the new young player. The question is, how quickly can you bet in those young players? Are they talented enough, you know, to win over the couple of years that they're going to be here and, um, you know, before they move on to yeah. the bigger and greener pastures? Yeah, and I think, you know, that's part of where the plan is broken down um, in terms of, some of the moves like Lopez having to go back, you know, having to leave Atlanta United due to family circumstances, veteran player, I think, which gets to my next point, which is one of our big problems, which is our nine right now. Um, one of the most frustrating things. And, and actually one of my problems with Heinze right now is why the hell we keep trotting out Kubo Torres. <laughs> I truly, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Like I think you could go get a Sunday pub player right now. That is some, Stud. I mean, of course, Jackson. Uh, Mikey Dobbs, if you will. I know. Please. <laughs> there, you know what I mean. There are some great players that are out there that have a lot more to offer instead of just being dead space out there, which is really all Kubo Torres is at this point because he's not making any sort of dynamic runs that put any pressure on the like. His primary goal is to score goals, right? And even in the last game, sure, he got back and made some tackles. Great. I don't give a shit about that. I want some goals. He's had way too many opportunities to get on the end of some balls at this point. And he's washed up and done at this point. It's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to be this miraculous Kubo Torres of 2013 or whenever he was supposedly uh, a great goal scorer. I never, never saw it. Um, but- I, I happen to agree with you. I think that Kubo Torres, um, you know, he's lost that half quickness step that, you know, he might've had that is really necessary to score. And, um, in that role, you don't have it and coming back. Um, you know, I guess in fairness to Atlanta United, you would say, look, the, the continuity that they were supposed to build on was bringing back uh, Joseph Martinez and signing him to a yeah. long contract. So he was supposed to be that continuity, the veteran player and the goal scorer combined, you know. So, you know, that went up um, on the field in Nashville, yeah. <laughs> the beginning of the pandemic last year. But, um, so, you know, yeah. um, 
Yeah, and so supposedly through this summer transfer window rumor, and I'm going a little off screen. I'll get to my third point here in a second, but there is rumors that there's a uh, a young Argentinian player named Tiago Almada, I think is his name, and mm. he plays for Velez or something like that down in yeah. Argentina, and he got some of his first opportunities when he was coached by Heinze. He's evidently a stud. It would be a bit of a snafu if we were able to sign him, um, but there's a little bit of a rumor. He's on our target list as a striker. I think he's 20 years old. Um, it would be a huge signing. We'd have to figure out how to create a DP spot, I assume, by buying down, I guess at this point, Alan Franco, whoever our designated players with all the, the movement uh, to, to bring somebody in like that. But um, I don't know that they'll do that, even though I think it's a smart move with Joseph Martinez's knee being uncertain. But um, Joseph also sc- scored a great goal down in uh, the Copa America that got taken back. So fans, some upside there with Joseph, even though he got COVID-19 and wasn't able to play a couple games, long story. But yeah. Talk about adding insult to injury, right? Yeah. Joseph Martinez coming back, goes to the South American Championships and gets COVID. Yeah. And he was vaccinated but he was AC- too, right? So uh, I don't know. I mean, is that true? Oh, well, they, um, they he, claimed everybody in the Atlanta United team was 100% vaccinated. So okay. I'm assuming, yeah. I mean, he was asymptomatic. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, maybe that maybe that's consistent. Um, but, um, so yeah. I, I mean, so, you know, but what I would say is, okay, you know, you talk about designated players, right? But what I would throw back to you is, you know, you talked to, you know, at the beginning, you set it up like, okay, we have a lot of talent and whatever, um, but the the youth is and the lack of leadership is really hurting us. But, you know, the guy who is maybe the, the question mark in that kind of analysis would be Marcelino Moreno, who's a little bit older, supposed to be a designated 25? player. Yeah, 25 or 26. So um, what do you think of his performances? Um. You know, I certainly expect more from him, but just like Barco, I feel like there is something missing with our style of play that is not tapping into the potential. I mean, that both Moreno and Barco can bring to any squad. You know, all these people on social media that are talking about getting rid of Barco, you know, what do you want? I mean, in terms of talent to replace him, because mm-hmm. you, you better take a step back and realize that this kid, if you're what tuning into the Argentinian first side three years from now, there's a good chance. I'm not saying nothing's a given here, but there's a good chance Barco might be a starter on the Argentinian national team. And so if that's the case, if he's not good enough to fricking start for Atlanta United, then you need to get your head out of your ass. And I, that's how I feel about it right now with all these social media people talking about, we got to get rid of him. I don't know that I have the answer, but I'm frustrated with your question around Moreno, who, by the way, I like because he gives 100%. He, even when he's not getting the calls, he just kind of puts his head down and goes back to work. I've said that a million times in the podcast. And he's also a guy that, you know, in certain moments is one of our big creators in terms of trying to break down the defense or putting in a good cross. Um, I, so much more potential, but yeah, definitely a little disappointed, but I, I think I it, have felt it's a bigger problem. Last, yeah. I have felt in the last couple of games that he's finally started to look a little bit more 
like on the front foot, you know, a little yeah. more aggressive. I thought he was being a little overly cautious in the early going, um, you know, times content to pass the ball on when we really needed him to take on a player or to try to create something. Um, that being said, you know, and the same goes for Barco, both of those players are creating certain things, um, but without a thrust to, to, to be the fulcrum of that creation, then, um, a lot of it goes for nothing. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and one thing is, it's the kind of player you expect Moreno or Barco to be, if you expect them to be the primary goal scorer, which is sort of what, um, you know, maybe you would have to be right now, then I think that yeah. we're in for a long haul. Well, I think uh, I would expect Barco to be more of a goal scorer on the sheet, primarily because of his free kicks. And I actually have liked Barco's free kicks yet again because he puts them on frame and there's been a little bit of lack of power with some of that that's probably prevented them from going in. And some of his shots have been against some really good goalkeepers in the MLS too. And so mm-hmm. uh, I, I feel like I like what I'm seeing from set pieces from Barco, both from crosses in and shots on on frame. Um, Marcelina Moreno, uh, I, I agree. I think um, I, I don't think I'm expecting a lot of goals from him as being a primary goal scorer. He was not uh, a, a big goal scorer in his last club in Argentina either. So I don't think that's what we were expecting. We were expecting him to be able to break players down um, and and get past people. And so I definitely want to see more of that from him. Yeah, I mean, one thing about uh, Moreno, um, even Barco, right? You know, Heinze has has really liked the inverted wingers. And I have felt at times when they've been trying to be most creative, Moreno and Barco have been coming inside and they've been running a little bit into tra- traffic. Um, you know, particularly without the, the little thrust run, you know, if, if they're coming, cutting inside and you have um a joseph martinez who's playing on the front foot and making the little dart run inside then they have an option but if it's cubo torres who's much more stationary in that moment then defenders can just come right off of cubo torres and they end up you know even if barco or moreno beats their guy the second guy is always there um so you know i think that's that's difficult with with the way they're playing cutting in um the one thing i will say is you know um, the way we have been able to score is off free kicks. Um, we've had a number of pretty good looking corners and set pieces that we've scored, or even in the last game, you know, the horrific zero, zero draw, right. We hit the post pretty late on what could have been an easy, uh, uh, an easy goal. Right. Yeah. I mean, give it up to Brooks Lennon. I think both the goals against Philadelphia, right. were crosses from him. One that, one that uh, was a clear own goal against uh, Shashenko, I think, or no, um, what's the guy's name uh, from Philadelphia? Anyway, uh, their their striker ended up having to go off his head and went in the side netting. And then the next cross, that was a corner kick, um, walks, yeah. went up, headed it, went off the shoulder, a part of the defender's body, but it still was, you know, walks effort to, to get in there and get up for it. And both great crosses, uh, to your point. Um I don't know how to ever pronounce his name. It's Prisbilko. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, the set pieces uh, have looked have looked pretty good. But um, you know, on the flip side of that, um, and what I want to come back to, I think the point I want to make is, you know, stepping back from you know the Atlantic 
the New York City and the Red Bull games, two times in a row, we have a two-goal lead in the 80th minute, 75th, 80th minute, and twice we come out with a draw, right? Um, so what do you think of that? Um, you know, there's there's always bigger issues when you um, give up a, 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 a lead like that, right? But the Philadelphia game, I just want to – I went back and watched it because I was curious of, like, how did we let this lead go in the last 15 minutes? And particularly that last goal. I'm just going to go in on that one because I, I watch it over and over again. You mean the absolute screamer? It Literally, the, <laughs> the not a screamer. I mean, it, was, it will go down as one of the best goals in the MLS, not only this season, but maybe, right. maybe right. of all time. Cannon, and, absolute cannon. And – you know, I looked at it and I, I tried to assess: could any of could anyone have really realistically stepped on him faster to close it? And the answer is not. They sh- shouldn't have. I mean, th- he was not in a dangerous place when he picked up the ball. He was way far away from the goal, and it was a one in a million chance that he was going to be able to shoot from where he did to make that goal. Especially with Brad Guzan and goal, he's got big paws, yeah. and you know. By the time that he shot it, people were closing him, right? So had he made it another five yards, he was going to get closed down. And, you know, sometimes you just got to tip your tip your hat. I know that's shitty. Um, I think you, you don't let that happen by winning the game earlier. But I honestly felt like the Philadelphia 2-2 result was very fair because early on in that Philadelphia game, they had plenty of chances they could have finished. And sure. they didn't. And so for them to get lucky at the end like that, you know, that's how that's how it pans out for me. So I look at it on the front end and be like, damn, we got really lucky. The fact that they didn't score some sitters, frankly, in the first 20 minutes of that game, there was a couple that came right across the front of the box and they just missed them. Uh, and so the fact that this guy scores the one of the best goals I think I've seen not only in the MLS, but in soccer in the last five years, the thing hit the upper 90, bounced in. It went in on the first bounce down, mm-hmm. came up, hit the crossbar again, bounced in, in again, up, hit the crossbar again, and then down. <laughs> I mean, what was that? I mean, I've never seen that before ever in my life. A ball actually <laughs> hit the crossbar twice on a double bounce that hit the upper 90. I mean, that, like 30 yards, dude. that guy, whoever he is, he should have just literally, he should do a walk off and never come back and play soccer again. Yeah. He's a center back too, right? Yeah. Never shoots. Um, no, but here's the thing, right? Both games, right? Nashville, Philadelphia, two goal lead 75th minute. Right. And in both games, Heinz chooses to bring on an extra offender, which I'm not necessarily going to critique, but in both cases, he brings on a defender for a forward. We lose the attacking momentum, we give up two goals, right? If you contrast that, for example, with Tata, one of the things that happened a lot, we, you know, people think that we were scoring three goals, you know, for fun. But even when we scored three goals under Tata, a lot of times the third goal came in the 90th minute, right? Um, And he was famous for bringing on an attacker, you know, at the 85th or 90th minute, you know, when we were up, two to one or two to nothing we don't have um, one yeah well that's what i was going to say so so there's there's a the question mark is 
Is, is that Heinze as a defensive coach and he stepped on the brake too early and uh, cost us the game? Or does he not even have a choice? And so, you, you, know, you know, you have as a coach two options there. Go for blood and try to score the third goal or, you know, shut it down. Um, and obviously he chose to shut it down, but um, does he have a choice? In the well, in the future, when let's say Martinez is is a hundred percent in full goal scoring, you know, glory, would he choose to do that or not? Yeah, and I mean, again, to me, it goes to the larger equation, which is we should have been down two nothing in the in the first half against Philadelphia. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, you know, I, I'm just looking at it like you know, we need to be scoring more goals. If we're going to overcome like that, that's a problem. Like our biggest problem is goal scoring right now. I don't feel like when I look at these sheets, like we're not giving up a whole lot of goals and that's why we have probably so many ties as well. Um, we're, we're probably pretty decent on the defensive side of the ball right now. And I think we'll only get stronger. We have less injuries on that side of the ball right now. Um, we are definitely struggling with offensive midfielders um, with the recent, Injury of Ibarra, I'm definitely concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seemed like he was finding his way and making a difference. Yeah, he was playing better, yeah. Um, Eric Lopez, I still have you know feel like there's some promise there. And, uh, you know, it was interesting to see Sosa shifted up in the last game. But uh, do, do we want to dig in a little bit more in the Philly game? I mean, um, I, again, overall, I felt like a, a 2-2 was actually a fair result. I don't know if you agree with that. I agree. No, I think 2-2 was a, was a fair result in the end for the for the game. But you feel so disappointed up 2-0. Brad Guzan, you know, gives up a bad rebound um, yeah. for the first goal where they, where they score. And Yeah. You know. I mean, it hit his hands and then hit his chest. I mean, he, you know, and it had a little bit of a funky thing coming in. But at the same time, you asked Brad – after that, I mean, he should have should have held on to that, and you know, you got to credit that goal as a Brad Guzan mistake by not not wrapping that thing up. And he, yeah, and he um, would say he would say that much. Yeah, I agree. You know, but you could say, look, with with their lack of a striker, you scored two goals in that game with the defense the way we have it, it's supposed to be you know dominant um, should be enough. Now, what I, I'm going to say two things about the defense. So one is that. Um, early on, I felt like we were dominant with our defense in terms of we were winning the battle up the field. We had a ton of possession. Um, that hasn't been quite as true the last couple of games. The defense hasn't been able to get up the field. Now, part of that's being on the road in the MLS. It's a harder thing to do than you think. Um, the other big question mark I have is um, who is Alan Franco? Yeah. It's a good question. Um, he, you know, in the last game, right, which was the uh, New York FC game, he came on, correct, after an injury that happened to who? Uh, somebody. Uh, or he just got subbed on, right? He I got, felt like he, he was, just came on. I thought they were. I thought that Robinson and Walks were both in the game. I want to yeah. say somebody got hurt and Alan Franco came in kind of unexpectedly and he had a really bad back pass where he turned around and didn't look. Um, yes. And so th- that was part of the who is Alan Franco. Um, I think after that, he he found a little bit of composure and, and did some good things. He also got beat off the dribble once. Yeah, he sure did. Uh, he sure uh, did. So there was a lot of 
uncertainty around Alan Franco is supposed to be one of our uh, better imports. I think if Alan Franco is the player that he is right now, Atlanta United doesn't get back over the top, you know, and yeah. is basically a borderline playoff team. If Alan Franco turns out to be the player we thought he was going to be, which is, you know, boss in the back, the leadership role, even for a young guy, um, then Atlanta United goes on to, you know, zoom right up the table and finishes, you know, yeah. as one of the, the contenders. Yeah, I fear that Alan Franco is going through a lot of what, um, you know, probably is happening to, you know, somebody coming to the U.S. I'm, I don't, I'm assuming he's coming to the U.S. for the first time, getting grounded yeah. and comfortable. There's just so much stuff going on outside of the soccer field for him that if all of those things aren't lined up and you're comfortable in your regular life, then you're not going to be comfortable in the soccer field. That happens in every sport. And you can ask any athlete that that's a hundred percent true. So he's probably the guy, but I think he's going to need that timeline to get settled in. And you have to believe that that's, you know, people are listening that don't believe what I'm saying there. It's a real thing. You have to be comfortable in, what's happening off the field for you to be comfortable with what's going on on the field. I don't know. I, I might actually disagree with you a little bit on that one. Right. Nope. So Alan Franco is supposed to be a borderline Argentinian international defender. He's supposed to be a guy who's You know, was considered to jump right to Europe, even yep. for the time being, if you're that player, even with getting used to Atlanta and whatever right. in the MLS, you can't dominate. Yeah, I think he okay. should be able to still. I didn't know that he had that much cachet that he was going to go to the European clubs and to be. whip it up. But if that's the so, case, then I'm with you. But the fact that he's in Atlanta United, I'm not sure I buy that that's actually the case. And, yeah. and you know, I'm just saying that, you know, no matter what sport you're in, you have to be comfortable with, uh, with, with you know, your environment. So I know I'm, I'm giving him a hall pass right now, but um, – yeah, I agree. As a designated player, he needs to step up and play better. That's not like you, Mike. I know it's not. But he's... I, I expect him to be the subject of a rant like Alan Franco is supposed to be our guy. Argentinian, he's capped for the national team, for heaven's sake. But right? I'm not like, seeing him, like, get the start. Like, there's something happening there where he's not getting, like, the like even out of the gates, right? We were questioning, why isn't Alan Franco in? Um, you know, until I, well, see, you know, until I see three games where he's played 90 minutes and he's screwing it up, then, then that's a different story. Well, you know, he had the injury earlier and that I think has also contributed to him not maybe necessarily being able to settle, but, um, so I'm going to keep, keep true to you trying to get out of here and on time to, uh, do, do what you got to do. But, uh, the second game against what new England, right. Which is a Bruce arena coached side. I felt no, not new England, the New York city FC, new England was much earlier. No, we was Philadelphia and then New England and then NYFC. Am I wrong on that? No, Philadelphia, then New York City FC, and then Red Bulls. You're correct. Because we played New York City FC, it was probably confusing you because we played them in Red Bull Arena. That's right. Which is weird. But, um, yeah, right. so you're talking about the New York City FC game in Red Bull Arena. Yes. That, yeah. What did you think of that game? You know, that was the last game, right? No, the zero zero tie against Red Bulls was the last game. Okay, but at that home. but that one at home oh, at, at home. home and the, oh, and then NYFC. Which one was the one that was just frantic the whole time? That was the last game against the Red Bulls. 
Mm-hmm. The yeah, pace of that game. So let's touch on that game since, sorry, my, my notes are wrong here, which is throwing me off. Um, the red. Well, I was just going to say the New York City FC game, you know, we looked like they were going to run us right off the pitch for the, the first 20 minutes. And then we settled. After that, I thought we looked like the better team on the road against a pretty good team. I, I thought, you know, we were a little unlucky to lose 1-0 in that game. Yeah. Again, we, we lacked the bite. We, you know, we didn't... Um, we did pretty well in terms of possession or whatever, but we really lacked on the front foot. We couldn't get great goal scoring chances. So, yeah. Um, and a part of that just seems to me like, you know, who's going to be the guy to finish a good chance. Um, not Kubo Torres. Not Kubo Torres. Right? <laughs> so why, why isn't Heinze giving one of these younger guys like, you know, Jackson Conway more more of a chance because he did come in in that game or one of the games and Torres came out and his only opportunity there's a nice head ball that came in at least put it on frame and Mm -hmm. nearly scored I mean Kubo wouldn't have done that yeah and then we haven't seen anything basically of uh Jose too right um yeah was you know he supposedly went back to Brazil got his green card and it's supposed to be fine now whatever and you would think okay if he's the real deal um we would see a lot of him. He's supposed to be a pretty explosive player, but he doesn't speak that well when you're behind Kubo Torres. Yeah. I, and so I, I, I don't have an answer for that. Well, I, it's part of my concern about Heinze not seeing it and trotting him out there. I mean, I, I don't, I, he maybe the guy's great at practice and all, but, um, you know, there's just, it's so clear and obvious to me that, you get somebody in there that wants to score. There's just a desire to score a goal. We don't have anybody in the game right now that just wants to throw themselves at the ball and make well, it's, it's, make runs, and just it's not happening. I actually feel like in the box maybe he is capable of throwing himself at the ball, but the thing of it is that no. he's so not dynamic that he allows the defenders to just be so comfortable. Like the defenders are so nonplussed, right? They're like, we know Kuo's not running by us, yeah. so we can just cheat off of him. We can do this or that. Like you gotta keep the defenders at least honest, right? Yeah, but I mean, even the balls I've seen come right to his head, he's not doing anything with them that is fair, putting fair. putting him in the corner. I mean, yeah, fair. That he he is frustrating more more than me more than Adam John, like yeah. <laughs> killing me. Um, well, he reminds me a bit of Adam Sean, right? Like, yeah. you know, yeah, very I similar. Like, I felt like yeah, maybe this is um, giving too much credit, but Adam Jean just looked like he wasn't going to move, didn't understand how to do any movement. Kuba Torres looks like he understands that he just doesn't have that gear anymore. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, but the, the effect is the same, right? Which yeah. is to not have a dynamic. But, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I agree. I think there, you know, there's a couple of moments that he was making a run in the last game and somebody tried to slot him and he was, you know, three yards behind where the pass was going to be. So, um, all right. Well, was, now tell it. Tell us about the frantic. What did you see about the frantic? In, oh, the in Red Bull, the zero zero draw. Oh, you were I, not at the stadium. Neither of us were at the stadium. No, I just, I, yeah, I, I felt like what I, I watched it uh, through the VPN here to get around the blackout, and I just felt like the nice. the pace of the game was just out of control from both sides. I mean, Red Bulls like that, you know, I think um, Jeff Lorenowitz was doing the commentary and was just talking about, you know, how Red Bulls are are like, you know, the bug that won't die, you know, and they really were. They just put that constant pressure on and we kind of played in the same fashion and got sucked into it. 
and I think got taken out of our game. And if you looked at it, I mean, the whole game was just this gigantic slinky. And by a slinky, I mean mainly just stretch from 18 to 18 the entire game. There was literally somebody's player uh, and, and evenly spread across the field from the six to six box uh, throughout that game because it was just the ball was just going back and forth. And it was I don't know. It was crazy. And how does that game end up 0-0? I agree with you. It's wide open. I feel like, you know, Heinz trying to get some offense, you know, was like push, 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 get it open, you know. And they they did. They opened it right up, um, but nobody scored. I mean, yeah. of course, uh, the pass off of Alan Franco, the Red Bulls have to score that one. I yeah. would not score. And then, obviously, when we hit the post. Yeah. I felt like, I mean, honestly, I felt like we had the edge in that game a little bit. Mm -hmm. I felt like we yeah, we, we actually had a little more quality. Um, so I wasn't as disappointed, even though I, again, I feel like um, we got sucked into their game a little bit, and I didn't like that part of it. But I think we did settle after the first 20 minutes, and we found a way to knock the ball around. So that was promising. Um, but then it, at some points in the game, we just went right back to getting sucked into just that back and forth that I'm sure Heinze really doesn't want in terms of a little bit more control in the way we're um, getting up and, and attacking. Well, he, speaking of Heinze, it seemed pissed, right? Yeah. The final whistle blew. He turned to march right out of there. Mm -hmm. um, I would hate to be Atlanta United on the training ground this week. Um, yeah. And that's, that's... Yeah, the question is, can we can we weather that storm or whatever? I, I, I am not, you know, I think in the last minute or two we'll wrap up here, but... Um, I am not yet off the Heinze bandwagon. I think there's too little time, too many young players, yeah. too many missing players um, to really quite judge yet. Um, I still feel like we're gambling enough and have enough of a dynamic that we're not the DeBoer side and that it could come. But, you know, again, is it going to? As I guess we talked about in the podcast in the last week or two. I don't know. Yeah. And supposedly just from art some articles I've read, um, you know, not just the, not the front office, but within the organization from different positions that are, I don't, I'm assuming just reading between the lines from like, you know, the training staff to the medical to whatever, there's been a lot of turnover from what I've heard in the last like six months or even the last year. And there's a lot of gaps that have yet to be really filled. Um, and that is creating, you know, some instability within the club that might also be kind of rubbing off. Um, I, again, I know it's, you know, the, the roster and the guys that you march out in the field at the end of the day, but there's a lot of other things that, you know, aren't in order within it, Atlanta United that uh, I've, I've read that uh, I don't have all the details like these guys who have press passes, but sounds sounds like there's some rumors that there's some some missing pieces. I don't know if you've read anything on that yourself. You froze up on me. Okay, so oh no, yeah. There. So we're gonna, you know, on the podcast, we have a tremendous record of being Notre Dame and you know uh, <laughs> making predictions. So I'm gonna leave you with this: yes or no, Mikey Dobbs, Atlanta United gets there and becomes a real playoff contender. One word: no. And I'm gonna go with yes. So I think that's a good way to leave it. It is. So that leaves a little bit of drama on where this thing shifts as we are. How far in the season are we? Not not quite halfway. Uh, still only a third. Yeah. A third. Yeah. Not, so not halfway. 
So that is a good way to end this. You being positive, me being negative again. Um, I just don't see it. I think we're lacking the depth. I think um, things aren't gelling. Worried. And I was, to keep in mind, I was a big negative on DeBoer. So, you know, I'm not just positive sunshine all the time. Yeah. We'll take your family out to eat. And uh, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Hopefully we'll do another one after the Chicago game as a quick recap. And uh, if you haven't subscribed, hit the button. Let's hear one of these things. Ring the bell. Tell a friend. And uh, thanks for listening. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. If anybody actually made it this far in the podcast, we'd love to hear your feedback on Twitter at ATL on fire and tell your friends to subscribe. We are on iTunes, Google play, and really any sort of podcast uh, platform that you're on. So do listen again. Have a good one.